Well, happy Father's Day. People ask me occasionally, uh, you know, what it uh, takes to be a good dad. I tell them, I'll let you know when I find out. But uh, one thing I do know for sure uh, is that you have to love being a dad. And uh, that, that half of the battle um, is just loving being a dad and then doing everything you can before the Lord to be a good father. I think it, grow, it comes from growing in your own relationship with Christ, um, living that out in front of your kids. Um, but if there's anything today, if there's a message today, it really does begin with, do you love being a dad? And um, the funny part of it is that that never changes. You know, I think I, I, I enjoy being a father today uh, as much as I ever have. Um, I love being a dad. I always have. And it seems to me that when you love being a dad, you'll show up. And so I just want to encourage you um, this morning with that idea and that uh, this morning we're going to talk about our good father. We're going to talk about our heavenly father. Um, but we're also going to continue in our series, Oh, the Places Will Go. And um, uh, talking about doors that God opens, uh, talking about places that we find ourselves that perhaps we th never thought, never anticipated uh, that we would find ourselves and what God does for us when we find ourselves in, in unexpected places. So uh, we're going to look this morning from Mark, the fifth chapter, and two very, very familiar stories. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you, as we often do, because you are familiar with these stories, uh, to, to sort of um, uh, kind of put aside all your preconceived ideas, put aside what you think you remember about the story, and let's take a fresh uh, look at two people who encounter Jesus, two people who find themselves in places that they never thought they would go. And we're going to begin in Mark 5, verses 21, and we're going to go all the way through verses four to 43 today. Um, this is called a miracle narrative in the, in, uh, in the Bible, and it, what it really means is that it's a story about one of Christ's miracles. And uh, it's a story um, that was prompted by a father, and there's a two parts to this story about Jairus, but in the middle, sandwiched in the middle, is another powerful story about a woman who is desperate to see Jesus. So it begins with this way. It says, uh, again, when Jesus had crossed... Uh, again in the boat to the other side. He came to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And it says, and he went with him, referring to Jesus, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So let's just take a second and, and look at the context of this story. It's an amazing story because Jesus uh, arrives in the boat. He's crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee, and uh, he's probably in the area around Capernaum now. It's the hometown for Peter and Andrew and James and John. He arrives on the shore, and as always happens, a 
crowd of people gather around Jesus. That there's, it says they thronged around him. They were getting as close as they could. They were piling in to where Jesus had just arrived. And there came through this crowd a, a man who's identified as a ruler of the synagogue. Now, if you lived in the first century, you would know that there's one temple. And the temple is in Jerusalem. And so that's the main place. And periodically during the life of a Jewish person, you would, uh, you would take a pilgrimage and you would go to Jerusalem if you didn't live there and you would offer sacrifices and you would worship at the temple. But in between times, uh, you would go to your local synagogue and that's where you would worship. And in these local synagogues, there were people who were rulers. They were leaders of those synagogues. Now, now Jairus isn't a priest. He's a lay leader. He's responsible for the physical plant. He's responsible for the building, for where they meet, for how everything is set up. So he's a very influential person in his community. So I can imagine as Jairus is trying to work his way to Jesus, the crowd sort of parts for him because one, because he worked in the synagogue, and if you read in the gospels, uh, that almost made Jairus a natural enemy of Jesus because Jesus was turning things upside down and who were the people typically in the gospels that were the most threatened by that it was the religious leaders and so here comes Jairus everybody's wondering what's going to happen what's going to take place is he going to confront Jesus is it you know what what really is this all about and so they're parting for him he makes his way to Jesus and then when he gets there something that no one expected happens he throws himself down on the ground at the feet of Jesus and the, and the language says that he implores Jesus. That's really uh, nice. That's Bible talk. That's really polite talk for he begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Here's one of the rulers of the temple. Here's one of the most influential people in that region. And he's begging Jesus because he's a dad. You know, when you have a tragedy like that, when you have something so desperate in your life, you're not, a, you're not one of the rulers of the temple anymore. You're not one of the big influencers in the community anymore. You're just a dad. And your daughter is sick. And you've called all the doctors and you've done everything else that you can possibly do and she's getting worse. And you've heard the stories that Jesus has gone places and he's touched blind men and they've seen and he's touched people who are deaf and they hear and, and, and paralyzed people and they've walked and you've heard all of these stories and you know that you have one shot, you have one chance and he goes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he said, would you please come and lay hands on her so that she might be healed and leave. Please, Jesus, I beg you, come to my house. And, and the story simply says, an incredible understatement that, that Jesus went with him. He said, all right, let's go. And so Jesus gets up to go with Jairus, and it says that whole crowd, that whole throng of people, they pack around, they're so excited, they're so curious, they're so interested that they follow, uh, they, they follow Jesus and Jairus toward Jairus' home. And so the story takes a break here, and in, and in the middle of this, we have this other scene with this woman. Beginning in verse 25, it says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. 
So now we go into this, we, we have this little break in the story of Jairus and we find out this woman who's been sick, desperately sick for 12 years. Uh, medical science has not had anything to offer her. She spent all of her money. She's desperately poor. She's desperately ill. And now she enters into the story and she had heard, in verse 27, it says, she had heard reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, can even, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, let's just contrast this a little bit from Jairus. So here's Jairus comes, and the crowd sort of parts for him, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he asks him to come with him. Here's this woman that has this discharge of blood. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Now, if you, again, if you lived in the first century, there were some implications to this. Not only was she sick, not only had she spent all of her money trying to get better, but when you were sick like this, you were automatically assumed uh, by the people around you that you were unclean. And if you're considered unclean, then that means you don't get to participate in the synagogue. You don't get to participate in all of the, the festivals and, and, uh, and all of the occasions that Jews had to, the feasts and all the things that they did. You don't get to be part of any of that because you're considered unclean. You're an outcast in your own community. So here's a woman, we don't even know her name, but she comes in and she's looking, she knows she's desperate. She's done everything that she can. She spent all that she has and she decides that her one shot is getting to Jesus. But she can't come by the front door. Nobody's gonna part for her. You know, I think they either, uh, they, they, they either made it hard for her and she had to wiggle her way through the crowd or she was so completely ignored by everyone that nobody even noticed her coming through. Whatever the case, she's not gonna come and approach Jesus face to face, but she's gonna, She's in stealth mode. She's going to come up behind Jesus. And she says, even if I can just touch his garment, I think he can do something. I think he's the real deal. I think Jesus can heal me. And she came up behind Jesus, trying to be unnoticed, try, trying to just get up there as best she can. And she touches his garment. And immediately when she did, the, the story says, the scripture says that she was healed of her illness. But what's even more amazing is that Jesus felt it. He felt power released from him. Uh, the word power that's used here, the, the Greek word is dunamis. And we instantly get our word dynamite from that word. But it's a power that changes. It, it, it's, it's something that changes everything. It completely changes what it touches. And so the idea that the power of Jesus, it's a power to change. It's a power that reconstructs, that rebuilds. In this case, it's a power that heals. And Jesus felt that power. And, and here's the picture that I want you to get. That when that woman's faith touched Jesus' power, everything changed. When faith comes in contact with the power of Jesus, everything changes. And Jesus felt that power go out of him, and so he stopped with all of these people just sort of crashing into each other, bumping into each other, saying, what's going on? Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me 
that this wasn't just somebody bumping into me, this wasn't just somebody trying to get close to me, but this was somebody that touched me in faith. Now the story continues, the woman, she's exposed, she's found out, and Jesus perceived it, and he said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Lord, come on, look at this crowd. Everybody wants to touch you. Everybody wants to be close to you. How could you possibly know that somebody touched you and power went out? But that's exactly what Jesus did know, and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, her uh, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So the woman came, trembling and in fear, knowing that there was nothing about her situation that would have allowed her to be in front of Jesus. And the story, and the scripture says she told him her whole story. She told him all about her illness. She told him all about how she had lost all of her money trying to get better, that she'd spent everything that she'd had. She tried everything uh, that she possibly could. Nothing had worked, and this was my only chance. I thought if I could just sneak up and touch your cloak, if I could just get close enough to touch your garment, that maybe something would happen, and that's her story. That's what she did. And that day, she was healed by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Her story is tragic. She'd suffered for 12 years. She tried everything. She had exhausted not only her options, but her resources. And so her door came out of desperation. She was desperate. Jairus was desperate. They came from two completely different places in life, two completely different Um, stations in life, and yet they both were desperate. They both had such need. They both had come to the end of all of their resources, everything that they knew, everything that they could think of, and in their desperation, they came to Jesus. And that's the picture that we want to look at this morning, that these two desperate people who had tried everything that they knew, everything that made sense to them, everything that they could understand, they tried all of it, everything they could pay for, they tried everything, and nothing had worked, and they come to Jesus in desperation, that they're two desperate people. And if this didn't work, she was completely without hope. What was she going to do if this didn't work? I mean, she had no other options. She was the opposite of Jairus. He was a synagogue leader, and she wasn't even allowed to participate in a synagogue. But she touched Jesus. You know, um, the power of Jesus is often referred to in Scripture as the power of God. And Jesus knew that someone didn't simply bump into him, but somebody had reached out in faith. Someone desperate had reached out and touched him. Now, verse 34 in this passage is, is pretty essential because it says this, that Jesus, realizing what had happened, he looked at the woman and he said, daughter, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I want you to think about that because we're gonna come back to it, but here's the thing. The very first thing that Jesus said to her, I, I want you to mark this, 
that here is this woman. She's completely anonymous. We don't know her name. She sneaks up. She isn't, she's considered unclean. She's not allowed to go to the feast day. She's not allowed to participate in the synagogue. And when Jesus heals her, the very first thing that he says to her is what? Daughter. Now, if you were there that day, you might have looked at her and said, uh, Jesus, she looks older than you. Uh, how can she, how can, why are you calling her daughter? That's kind of weird, you know? I mean, I'm pretty sure she's older than you are. But Jesus knew something that they weren't catching yet, that he was the eternal God, that he was there at creation that he had created her, that he had been there when the cosmos was hung in the sky, that he was part of all of that, that he was eternal. And so for her to look at her, he could call her daughter. But here's another thing about it. Here's a woman that was ignored. Here was a woman that was considered unclean. Here was a woman that wasn't allowed to participate in the synagogue. And here with this throng of people, this crowd of people standing around them, Jesus looked her in the eye and said, you're my daughter. You belong to me. You're part of my family. You're not anonymous. You're not unaccepted. You're not an outcast. But you're mine. And you see, people go through life feeling anonymous. Uh, they, they go through life feeling uh, at, at the very least anonymous, if not rejected, if not an outcast, uh, if not allowed to, to, to participate in, in, in the stuff that they see around them, the, the things that they want to be part of. And Jesus comes at those moments of desperation, and he says, you know what? You belong to me. You're mine. You're my daughter. Her life was changed forever. Everybody standing around that day, everybody trying to get close to Jesus, all of the curious, all of the followers, all of the cynics heard him claim her that day and call her his daughter. The second thing that, that Jesus uh, said to her at that moment was he said, now, daughter, he says, go in peace. Uh, he said, go in, in peace. That, that it wasn't, isn't it interesting that the first thing he didn't say that for, it was, was, okay, now be well, be healthy, have a good life, but there was something going on there that was even more powerful. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well, Go in peace. So let's just go back real quick to the idea of your faith has made you well, that here's what Jesus is saying, that your faith with my power changed everything in your life. Your faith plus my power, connected to my power, changed everything in your life. And now I want you to go in peace. Well, m most, some of you know that the idea of peace uh, in the New Testament comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And it's a lot more than just the opposite of war, but it's a wholeness, it's a completeness that, that comes from God. And so here is Jesus saying, you know what all of these people see? They see somebody who's phys been physically healed. But do you know what I see? I see someone who's been touched by the God of the universe, and now you are completely whole. Now you are whole inside and out. 
uh, now there's a completeness about you, there's a wholeness about you, there's a peace uh, in your life that no one could give you, nobody else can give you, and nobody can take away from you because you belong to me, and now you go in wholeness and you go in completeness because you belong to me. And whether or not she was physically healed, everything changed for her that day. Everything was different for her that day because she had touched Christ. Because she'd been desperate for Jesus. Here's here's the mistake that we make. That we think our desperation is because of our circumstances, right? So I'm really sick and I tried everything I can, so now I'm gonna run to Jesus. That's sort of a bummer, isn't it? I mean, when do we figure out that maybe we should go to Jesus first? Right? When do we figure out that maybe we start with Jesus and we work our way back to those other things? But here is this woman who tried everything and she's so desperate. And in her desperation, she goes to Jesus. And Jesus says, now I'm going to do more than just heal you. I'm going to make you well. But we make the mistake sometimes of thinking it's about her illness. But it was really you know, desperation for her illness was really the tool that got her to Jesus, that what she was really desperate for was Christ. And see, in our lives, we feel all kinds of points where we feel desperate, where we feel at a loss, or we feel like we've tried everything. But all of those are symptoms of the real need in our lives, and that is that our desperation is really for Christ. And those things that we're experiencing, uh, whatever it is, those are things that are pointing us to Jesus. They're pointing us to the ultimate answer. They're pointing us to the ultimate one that our desperation is really for Jesus. And what she discovered that day was it really wasn't about her body. It was really about all of her, her soul, her body, her mind, that Jesus wanted to change her, Jesus wanted to touch her, and that her desperation at all that time really been to connect with the God of the universe, to connect with Jesus. And so he says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and then be healed of your disease. Most scholars think that Jesus added that. Of course she was healed, but, but they, that Jesus added that to remind her that that healing was permanent. That she wasn't gonna walk away that day and be struck by the same disease, but that one was done for. Now, she isn't gonna live forever. She's, she's going to die too someday, but she's going to die of that, that Christ had healed her, and he's giving her that assurance. Well, it, what's interesting now is we look at these stories, the, the, the healing of this woman and the great news for this woman was catastrophic for Jairus and his daughter. Because while all of this is going on, we find out that, that Jairus' daughter has actually passed away and Jairus has a choice what's he going to do you know in the story it just simply says this that while he was still speaking in verse 35 there came from the ruler's house some who said your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further by um, why trouble the teacher any further but overhearing What they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. (laughs) 
okay. You know, oh, yeah, let's try that. Don't fear. The worst thing that you can possibly imagine has just happened, but don't worry about it. I got this. Don't fear. Just believe. How many times in our lives has God given us the opportunity to trade in our fear for faith? That we're fearing the worst thing that could possibly happen. And what Jesus is saying to us is, you know what? This is an opportunity for faith. Are you willing to trade in your fear for faith? I don't know, what do you think? So it says, uh, verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. His witnesses, the three that went with him and some pretty significant occasions. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus' house, and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. Now let me just stop for a second to help you, you know, create this scene because again, if you lived in the first century, um, part, part of what would happen is, is that you would have mourners, that they had professional mourners. Uh, and, and so depending on your status in the community and, and your wealth, um, it would de- de- determine how many professional mourners that you could actually hire. So if you were a poor man and your wife just passed away, you were required by common um, tradition uh, that you would have at least two uh, flute players and uh, one professional mourner. Now, what I love about this is, uh, can you imagine going to... Um, your uh, um, sixth grade career day and bring in your dad and uh, he gets in front of the class and said, what does your dad do? Well, I'm a, I'm a professional mourner. Really? Okay, well, what is, what's that like? Well, here's what happens. When somebody passes away, they hire me and I go to their house and I kind of have this chant uh, I, I say these words from the old scripture and I sort of say them in a sing-song voice and somebody's playing the flute and I sing and I kind of wail this as loud as I possibly can with lots of hand clapping. Hand clapping is required when you're a professional mourner and I'm sure that you get paid more if you're the loudest clapper and so you get a bit of a reputation but if you're on the low end of the chart, if you're just you know an apprentice mourner or a rookie mourner, you, you, you get the gigs with you're the only guy that they can afford, and so they send you by yourself. Well, somebody, a servant or somebody, had already started making the arrangements, and so the commotion was already going on. Can you imagine walking into Jairus' house and, and having people playing flutes and, and making all this noise, and all of these people wailing this chanting sound and clapping their hands as loud as they can because that's how you demonstrated mourning, but really what, it's how you demonstrated status. Isn't that so like us? <laughs> that we, we, would, we, make, we would make a, a memorial really expensive just so we could show people that we could do that. Now, that's what they did. They're just like us. But all of this commotion is going on. And, and, and you know, sometimes w- when you l- translate these things and look at the, the language, you, you don't know if Jesus just said, what is up with you guys? Stop this noise. You drive me crazy. I, we don't know if he did that or if he just came in and said, be quiet. Stop. That's not what we're here for. But whatever he did, Jesus came in and said, stop the racket. 
Stop the commotion. Stop the noise. Because people were weeping and wailing loudly and clapping. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And this is how you know a professional mourner from like a real mourner, is that the pros know how to turn it on and off. And so here's what happens in the story. It says, and they laughed at him. So those who are mourning and weeping loudly, all of a sudden, they're laughing at Jesus. <laughs> she's dead, we know she's dead. She's not mostly dead, she's really dead. We know that, I know, thank you, the Princess Bride reference. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, so she was old enough to walk. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, classic understatement, and he strictly charged them that no one should uh, know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, isn't this fascinating? So the first thing he says is, look, don't tell anybody about this. Let's just keep this between us. Impossible. All of those people in the house knew that she had died. They're gonna see her alive, so something's gonna happen. Somehow the word is going to get out. But, but here's, here's what... We, you know, Jesus would often say in the Gospels, my hour is not yet come. That it's not time to proclaim me the Messiah. It's not time to, to, to do all of that. But there I have a work to do that I'm going to the cross. There's going to be a resurrection all before we proclaim me the Messiah. My hour's not yet come. But there's something else that's going on here as well. And that is simply that they don't understand exactly what's happened. Because they still think it's about the daughter. They still think it's about the illness. They still think it's about now she's healed and, and life is good and we go on. And Jesus is saying, you know what? It's not about that, but it's really about me. It's about your desperation coming to me and seeing how I change a life, experiencing the power of Christ and seeing what he can do. And so he raises this little girl and then he says, now give her something to eat. Most scholars think that really it's because they were so superstitious, ghosts don't eat. And so nobody could say, wow, she wasn't, that was just, we were, it was such wishful thinking that we thought we really saw her get up, but it couldn't have really happened. But Jesus says, let her eat because she's 12 years old and they always eat. You kids always eat when they're 12, right? Constantly eat when they're 12. And just to show you, she's really alive. Give her some food, let her eat. So here's what we take away from these two stories this morning. Uh, the first is when faith meets the power of Christ, change always happens. And so God calls us to trade our fear for faith. Do you believe in your life that God is stronger than your circumstances? Do you believe he is stronger than you fear? Do you believe that he loves you more than really that you can imagine? Do you believe the truth of, of what Christ did on the cross because he loved you and then what happened in the resurrection? Because you guys, if the resurrection is true, then all of this has to be true.
And when our faith meets his power, our lives are always changed. Everything changes. So the challenge is to, is to trade in our fear for faith in him. Always be reminded that our faith is in Jesus, not in any ability, not in any other things, but it's always in Jesus. And then I want to give you one more time the four things that Jesus said to that woman. First, he called her daughter. And the gospel always begins with this, that Jesus calls us by name. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new life. This woman who was anonymous, this woman who was an outcast, that day was called a daughter of the Messiah. We are sons and daughters of Christ. We belong to him. We have that status. None of you this morning are anonymous. None of you this morning are outcasts, but you belong to Jesus. The second thing that he said is that your faith matters. Will you trade that fear for faith? And will you in faith touch Jesus and see what he does? And then he offers us peace. Jesus offers us more than we can imagine, more than we could even dream of. We think it's about a physical issue. We think it's about circumstances in our life. And Jesus says, no, it's about all of you. I want all of you. I want to change everything about you. I want to change your life. I want to make you more than you ever dreamed that you could be. And then finally, he says, you know what? I change you. I change you for good. I heal you for good. You know, those things that we carried around, that ocean song that Aaron and the team sang, you know, I don't have time to take any regrets. That song says, because my focus is on Christ and I belong to him and all of those regrets and all of that sin and all of that guilt he took on the cross. And he said, you don't carry that anymore. That belongs to me. I've taken those. That's what I died on the cross for. Those are mine now. And we trade that in for wholeness, completeness, for shalom. And he heals us permanently. One last little part of the scripture says this. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. You know, for Jesus, uh, for Jairus, I'm sorry, and for that woman that day, Jesus did far more than they could have asked or thought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these two stories. Um, Lord, that you call us to trade in our fear for faith. And that when our faith touches your power, Lord, you change everything. And so, Lord, I would ask this morning that you would help us to consider our own hearts and our lives and where, Lord, we carry fear and where we carry desperation. And, Lord, you would help us to see that those things are pointing us to you. Those things are leading us to you, Lord, and that we would look to you for our source of strength and our source of wholeness and our source of healing. So, Lord, we'll give you the praise and we give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen.